Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be in, uh, is it technically situate, north situate, Rockland? I'm kind of confused. Where I'm from, I'm just from Oxford, Massachusetts. That's all I'm from. I don't have all the different names that Tom says this place is called. I'm not quite sure, and most of you probably think I'm dumb by now. Uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to, to um, share God's word with you. Pastor Tom has been a great friend uh, to me over the last several years. I think uh, the first time I met him was in a coffee shop. He and uh, another brother in the Lord, we got together and uh, got to discuss all kinds of things. And ever since, uh, Tom and I have been good friends. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I don't know what kind of introduction Tom has given me um, prior to my being here, but I just left a pastor down in Johnston County, North Carolina. Um, so if I don't sound like I'm from around here, I, sure, I assure you, I am, at least if you consider Massachusetts from around here. Um, but after spending eight years in the Army and um, living in North Carolina for the last three and a half years, I kind of have all kinds of different vernaculars. I can turn the Southern accent on and off. I can drop my R's and sound like I'm from Massachusetts just like that. I've learned to be adaptable. So if you don't understand me, I don't know why, because I am one of you at least if you consider Massachusetts to be one of you. Tom assures me that here in Rhode Island, if you have to drive more than five minutes down the road, you're probably not going there. Pack a lunch. Um, I had a 42-minute drive here this morning, and being from where we were living in North Carolina, 42 minutes was nothing. We just went there for the grocery store sometimes. So um, if you're not a fan of driving, don't move south. We're going to be looking at Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I, I asked uh, Pastor Tom a few weeks ago when he asked me to preach, uh, I told him I'd preach on anything he asked me to preach on. He said, well, dealer's choice. You, you choose whatever you wish. And I thought, man, with Easter just having passed, what better text of Scripture to look at than a text right in between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. I, um, I, I shared that I was in the army for eight years and I was always about having a mission. We had to have a mission. If you didn't know what your mission was, uh, you would never get it accomplished. So your supervisors, your bosses, your commanders, your NCOs would push that information down to the lowest level if possible so that every man and woman on the ground would know exactly what their purpose was, exactly what their mission was. In fact, if you look at D-Day, D-Day was a mess back in World War II. If we have uh, any World War II aficionados here, uh, I'm not, but I like to think that I am. I had a friend say that once you're 30, you have to get good at smoking meat or become a World War II buff, and I'm not good at either. I'm just learning. But I I know this, I, I've watched Band of Brothers, as probably some of you have as well, and, and studying some of the stuff that I've studied as an intelligence analyst when I was in the Army is one of the things that made the United States and the Allied offensive there and the invasion of Normandy successful was because every trooper who was jumping out of an airplane knew exactly what the mission was was so that when they were getting this anti-aircraft weaponry attacking all the airplanes and the airplanes are starting to go at speeds far uh, far faster 
then was, uh, was safe for the paratroopers jumping out, that once they got out and they lost all of their equipment, that they got to the ground, was able to find somebody else's equipment, get the weapons, and move on to their mission in overtaking the enemy. That's what made us successful uh, now, what is that, almost getting to be almost 80 years ago. What is our mission as people, as believers, as, as Christians? What is our purpose in life? Well, some of us might think that our highest purpose would be to make the most money. Some of us want to accumulate the most power. We want to be the most attractive. We might desire to be liked, admired, feared, and we think that our mission is to achieve this earthly greatness so that when the day comes in which we depart this earth, people will have wonderful and flowery things to say at our funerals. I assure you of this, that at my funeral, no matter what you believe about uh, the soul's, uh, um, whether or not the soul is, is cognizant of what is going on or not, that I will be in the Lord's arms with the Lord, and I do not care what you say at my funeral. I think that's something that we should all care about. But we can't be wandering around the world with no mission, no purpose, and no, nothing directing us. Otherwise, there's no meaning in anything. And, and knowing that our Lord walked the earth for 30 plus years, three of those years instructing his disciples, he must have left us something like, like Jesus, what is it that you're calling us to be, to do? What? What are you telling me? What, what do I need to be? When I was growing up, my, I remember my parents saying, they just didn't want me to be on drugs. Just say no. You remember D.A.R.E. when you were in school? Just say no to drugs. Go to college. Uh, I, I want you to own a home someday. I want you to have healthy kids. I want you to... This was ingrained in me as a child. This was my purpose. As an early Christian, I, 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 came, I came across the the text here in, in, here in Acts 1, and see the, the defining moment of the church, of Christians. The last words, almost like the last will and testament of Jesus, his ascension right before he, he departs. He says, I'm out. He chucks the deuces. He goes on to be with the Father for eternity, promising to return uh, to usher in the new heavens in the new earth at his second advent. But until then, he gives these words. And we'll read them here in a moment, but I'll just share with you uh, these words briefly. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then... He goes on to say, after he'd said this, he was taken up. So he didn't say anything else. I'm going, I'm leaving you. And you can read this in the Gospel of John. Jesus tells his disciples, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to another place. I'm going to my father's house. Well, Jesus, will you take me with you? No, guys. Stay right where you are. 
Because where I'm going, there are many rooms. And you know the way to where I am going. But I've got to prepare a way for you. But until then, here is what you are to do. And we see these last words in the first chapter of Acts, right before his ascension. He says, go. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We see this as the Great Commission. Oftentimes, commentators will look at this and say, this was the second time that Jesus gave the, the Great Commission. In all the, other, in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the Great Commission unfold from the perspective of the author. This is what Jesus said. This is how he said it. This is how we heard it. This is what he's proclaimed us to be. And then he reiterates it here as Luke records in the first chapter of Acts. He says, you're going to be my witnesses uh, to, to, to your neighbors. He's, you're going to be witnesses to your co workers to everybody in between and we'll get into the weeds on that but here, here's the thing you're going to witness about me one of the things and and pastor tom's not shared this with me so if i step on toes i apologize and thankfully i'm not the pastor here he is so he can clean up the mess next week but one of the things that's that's comical i've seen this in in all, nearly every church i've been a part of um they're are often members who, want, who, who are into uh, a dieting plan, this dieting plan or that dieting plan, or they sell uh, life insurance or, or this, and like they, they have what they call a, a, a downline or an upline or something like that with these multi-level marketing uh, companies. In order to, everyone know what I'm talking about so far? It, if you don't know, just check out things on Facebook. People flood your timeline with wanting you to buy clothing from them or all kinds of stuff. We're really good at finding something that we like, that fits for us, whether it's a dieting plan or Lululemon clothing or whatever it might be. There was the makeup in, back in the 90s and early 2000s, the Mary Kay stuff that somebody was always trying to sell, right? But we, like, we found Mary Kay and we're like, listen, this is God's gift to women. Come to my party. We've found that with dining plans several years ago. Uh, I, I'm not at fighting weight from back when I was in the Army. My, key, my, my, my weight when I was in the Army was 220. My, my child referred to me as a fat bozo the other day <clears throat> at 250. So uh, maybe I'll go back on the Arbonne plan that I was on several years ago where I lost a few pounds. I don't know. But whenever we find something that we love, that we enjoy, that we think is the fix to something, we tell everybody, unless it's Jesus. And then we feel like, listen, I, I, I don't want to be the weirdo at work, right? Like, I don't want to be labeled as the Bible thumper. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Listen, if you've been around me for more than five minutes, you, you know that the, the Scripture oozes out of my veins. I love to know the Lord through the Word, and I love Him so much. But listen, last night, I spent time with some fellow veterans of mine at my local VFW. And I sat there and talking to them, and I don't go around and say, hey, listen, man, let me turn to John 3.16 and, and unfold the meaning of your life right here for you. No, I, I sit, I listen, I care for, I help when, 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 they're, when they are going through difficult things in life. I, I, I try to listen and look for opportunities to point them to Jesus and to hope and, and offer up to them Christ. Because that is our mission. We are to be his witnesses. I, uh, some of you might be 
following the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case through social media. Uh, Johnny Depp, for everybody here knows who Johnny Depp is, right? You know, just watch Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, but there's a, there, there's a case in the media that's being tried, a defamation lawsuit, and, and I, I love court trials. I love, like, I'm an addict when it comes to court trials, and I'll watch that stuff. I'll have it playing on my screen. I never get any work done. I'm the worst employee ever, worst pastor ever. I'm trying to prepare a sermon, and there's a trial on my, like, third screen that I have, and I'm just like, listen, I can't get anything done. Why anybody ever paid me to do anything, I don't know, because I just watch these things because they're amazing. But you have people who get up on the stand and they're providing evidence, they're being asked questions by lawyers and directing and steering these conversations to provide some kind of answer to a jury or to a judge so that they can make a decision on, on really someone or some people's future. We call those people witnesses. They have to testify to something. They have to testify to what they've seen, how they felt, or what happened. This is what it means to be a witness to Christ. But we have to be in a place where people will ask us questions, where we'll share the truth, where we'll share love, where we'll care for them. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. What we're going to learn is what our mission in life is. We'll see that God's mission is our mission. That it's empowered by the Holy Spirit through witnessing Christ to the ends of the earth. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we open up the text and hear what God has to say. Uh, Father, these are your people. This is your word. I ask that your Holy Spirit who indwells us would, would open our eyes and our hearts to your word that you would convict us of our sin or inaction, but that you would, your, your grace would come over us, knowing that you, have, that you love us, that you show mercy, that you forgive us our trespasses, and that you've called us to live a life that reflects your glory, that seeks your glory, and seeks to see others come into the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you for the life that we have in Christ Jesus, and I ask that we be encouraged here this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read through this text uh, once through, and then we're going to go uh, bit by bit all the way through the text. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. I believe you have the NIV, and that's what um, Pastor Tom says you guys use. I just don't have an NIV Bible, so I just, and I like to read out of uh, the, the manual copy, the analog Bible. Uh, so this is, this is the author. The author here is Luke. Luke also wrote a gospel account. Um, I always love at least a couple times a year I read Luke and then I read Acts and then I go through the rest of the New Testament just because it flows really well. This is uh, written most likely around the 60s AD. So around maybe 30 years after Jesus had died. And we see if you read through the book of Acts, really five overarching values or themes that come up. These five values include Luke's pastoral concern for the church, that the mission is the essential task of the church, that there should be no racial or economic discrimination within the church, that the Holy Spirit resides in God's people and is given for the purpose of mission, and then the last one, the church is raised up for the glory of God, which is achieved through the suffering of God's people. Now let's get to the text. Luke says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about 
all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, You have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that is the word of the Lord. Again, I want to reiterate these words. This scene, Luke is setting it up. This is the last moments before Jesus ascends to heaven. Now imagine, you are Jesus' disciples. Okay, imagine you are any of the twelve. You're any of the other folks who were hanging around. You weren't in the inner circle. You weren't in the second circle, but you were kind of like on the periphery of the circle. You're still following Jesus around. You're still hearing him teach. You're still hearing him do musicals. Or musicals. You're still hearing him do uh, uh, miracles, right? But then all of a sudden, you, you, you see that he was crucified. He was crucified on, on a hill in front of everyone, laid naked for everyone to see. In between uh, two, two thieves, two murderers, two, two, two people that we know would have been the dredges of society. Crucifixion was really, truly the worst way to die back in the first century. So much so that like the privilege of being a Roman citizen, it was illegal for you to be crucified. Because that was for other people. That wasn't for the prestige of being a Roman citizen. We don't do that to our own. It's for peasants. It's for the lowliest of lowly. And that's how our Lord was put to death. Okay, so Jesus dies. And, and, and all the disciples go to the upper room. They're cr- I mean, they're, they're just in, in, in a shock. I mean, how could you be in any other form than, than shocked and traumatized? You've just seen your Savior, your Lord, your Rabbi, your Teacher, uh, your brother being, been beaten, murdered, thrown in a tomb, two seals put over it, two seals. The, to cut one seal was, was to incur a death penalty. I mean, you, you couldn't go and give your teacher, your Savior, a proper burial. Now, Jesus had told them repeatedly, listen, I'm going to die. Peter goes, come on, man, give me a break. Jesus, you're not going to die. And then Jesus looks at Peter and and looks at him and says, and who are you? Who are you to tell me what I'm going to? I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. I I am the son of God, the son of man. I'm telling you, I'm going to die. So he dies. Somehow everyone is surprised. Then he is raised three days later. 
He's raised on Sunday. They use an inclusive timeline in the first century and with, with Judaism. So when we see three days, it includes the day he dies and the day he was risen. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So he's raised three days. Mary and the other women, they, they come and they, and they go to the disciples and they don't believe Mary. For, like, Mary, what, what do you mean, right? And then, and then Peter and John, they go. Like one of the best, one of the best cases for, uh, for the Gospel of John that I think uh, that, that exists for how, uh, how um, the authenticity of it, right? John's like, listen, when Peter and I were running to the tomb, guess who made it there first? I did. Homie had no wheels. That's what he said, right? And somehow the gospel still gets, invo- gets, gets included, right, in the canon. Like, they accepted this. They passed around the gospel of John and said, listen, this is a wonderful gospel. This is something the church should be using. This is God's word inspired by the apostle or evangelist John. And John goes, listen, I ran as quickly as I could. So did Peter. The guy was a little out of shape. I made it there first. So they get there and they realize Jesus isn't there. And then walking back, some other disciples on the road to Emmaus, they, they discovered Jesus. Jesus actually has to reveal himself all over again to them because they didn't recognize him at first. And then Jesus walks for 40 days, appearing to hundreds, if not thousands of people during that time, during that 40 days, from the day he was raised to the day he ascended. So we're in between those times. So imagine being the disciples and you've witnessed all of these things and all of a sudden he says, go and be my witnesses. And it goes up in the clouds. And then you just look at one another and go, what's for dinner? I mean, what, what do we do next? That, of course, isn't what happens. In fact, they, they get together, they pray, they appoint another apostle, they establish the church, they preach God's word. And, and in Acts chapter 2, we see this beautiful picture of, of uh, during one of the festivals where, where Jews from all around the empire would have come with speaking different languages, coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds. They come and, and they hear Peter preach and they hear Peter preach in their own language and they come to believe in the Christ. And their thousands came to faith in Jesus. And we see the church being established. We see here in the first three verses that God's mission doesn't end with Christ's death. It doesn't end with his resurrection, and it doesn't end with his ascension. It would have been really easy for the early disciples, once they saw Jesus ascend, like looking at one another, what do we do next? Is he coming back? Like the, the expectation, I would have thought, seriously, first century Eric Reynolds, I would have looked around and said, he's just going to come back in like three days, right? Like he's just going away for the weekend. He's just going down the Cape Cod. That's it. He'll return. I really would, I would have thought, I would have looked, like, let's just wait for Jesus. But thankfully, thankfully they had men who were more faithful and listened better, far better than I do. And they said, no, Jesus will return. He absolutely will. But he said, first, we must stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, the gift that has been given to us, promised to us by God. And then we'll know what to do. So God's mission doesn't end with his resurrection, with his death, with his ascension. 
We see that Christ's death redeems God's people. We see that Christ's resurrection assures the promises given to us by God. And we see that Christ's ascension continues the mission. There, there is no looking around and going, well, what do we do next? He's told us what we do next. We go to the world. Well, the world doesn't like us. Didn't like Jesus. And what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. Oh, goodness, we don't have any chance, do we? Well, we might not, depending on, on where you live, depending on uh, many of us might think that here in the United States we're persecuted for our religious beliefs. I can assure you I've, uh, I've had the privilege of, of um, going to school with people who've, who live across the world. I mean, all around the world, people who are, are, come from Muslim countries or communist countries and whatnot. They know, like, they come here to the United States, they, they might learn at, at a seminary or whatnot, and they're going to go back to their, their country. I was in a seminary with a woman who was going to go back and help lead a church planting movement in, uh, in her native country, China. And she came here to study at Gordon-Conwell, which most of you are familiar with because Pastor Tom has gone there for school as well. And she was talking about what life is like in communist Like, you can't just go around telling people, hey, come to church on Sunday. We've got a brunch right afterwards. It's going to be delicious. Don't worry. We'll be out before the Celtics play at 1 o'clock. It'll be okay. No, you kind of have to go about it in secret. I mean, they're not, they're not dumb. They're not just going around like, hey, here's a flag, like this, this wonderful flag that was created in the United States back in the 1910s, um, the Christian flag. Like, here, this is how you know we are a place for you. No, you legit have to, like, go around and, like, be very, like, kind of, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? There's no handing gospel tracts out in Tiananmen Square. I mean, it just doesn't work. For a Muslim, it's incredibly difficult for Muslims to come to faith because within Muslim culture in the Arab world, to renounce uh, uh, your, your, your faith, to renounce uh, Muhammad as the one and only prophet of God is to renounce your family. So imagine this. Imagine you grew up or lived in a country where to follow Christ, you had to let go of your family. I don't know. I think Jesus said something about that, doesn't he? What if we lived in a place where we knew that we would lose all cultural privileges if we were a Christian? Like you, you couldn't work in the government. You couldn't uh, work at a, a college or a public school. You, you couldn't uh, become or ascend to a place as a CEO of a respected company. You would, if, if you're part of a small business association in your local community, they might like excommunicate you because you're this far out person who has rejected the idolatry of Caesar. So many of these things are at play here in the first century. Many of these things are at play here around the world. And despite those things, the mission of God doesn't stop. Consider this. Uh, everyone here knows who the Apostle Paul is. The Apostle Paul is the author of much of the New Testament. He wrote most of the letters. And, and Paul is, you can read about him as you read through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is really one of my favorite books in the whole Bible because it's just, it's a, to me, it just shows you the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and how he causes his people to persevere and see the mission move on. Because we see with Paul... Like, he's a bad dude, right? Like, you, you throw him in jail, 
And he's like singing hymns and spiritual songs. And then everybody around him comes to know Jesus. What do you do if you're the jailer? You come to believe Jesus. What do you do if you hear the Apostle Paul preach? You come to believe, like, like you can't, he says, listen, well, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What do you do with someone like that? He's a crazy guy, right? Like he is sold out for Jesus. You can't put this guy down. You can't snuff out the message of God, the proclamation of God's glory, the coming of Christ and the resurrection. You can't snuff it out. No matter the circumstances here in this life, our mission has been given to us by God on high. This isn't like sitting down and, and yesterday I attended a, um, a, a, in my town, my town of Oxford, Massachusetts. I love my town. It's about 13 to 14,000 people. Um, <clears throat> several months ago, there was a story uh, or, or an event where the uh, chairperson of the select board. So I don't know what kind of uh, governance you hear, have here in Rockland, North Situate, Situate, Rhode Island. Uh, but we have like a town manager, they oversee all things, and then they report to the select board and they create policy and all this other stuff. Well, one of the selectmen, the chairperson, uh, called the police, the local police, on another chair or on another select board member. Uh, because that select board member um, wouldn't stop asking questions. Yeah, I know. So yesterday we had a... Uh, uh, we had like a kind of a town hall type meeting. About 30 people showed up out of a town of almost 14,000. And yours truly was there because uh, I'm interested in these things because I'm weird. So I show up and you're able to ask a question, right? And I asked what I thought was a very simple and apparently they thought was a saucy question. Um, I asked, tell me, what would you do if there was a disagreement among board members? How would you handle the conflict? And tell me why you would not call the cops on that board member. <laughs> Those are the kinds of questions that come to my mind. Maybe yours too. As, as I was in that hall and listening to these people and listening to how they might respond and how, what their policies were, the, you could hear what their vision and what their mission for the town of Oxford is. And me as a, as a voter, as a townsperson, I get to decide whether or not I want to vote for this person based on what their mission and vision for my beautiful town is. There are a couple of people I know for sure I am not going to vote for them. There are a couple of people that I said, man, they might get my vote. I, I might... Our relationship with God is not something that we sit and we listen to God and go, hmm, i got to think about that one, Jesus. I, I, I've got to really, like, I don't know if I agree with you. Now, there are things for sure that our Lord teaches in his word. There are things that, that good preachers like Pastor Tom and, and others that you've had before him and that will come after him, that they will, un, they, that they will open up and reveal to you as they seek to be accurate to the text. And you're going to go, man, I... This rubs against some of my, my preconceived notions. Like, this rubs against my culture. This rubs against, like, who I think I am. And I say this with love and kindness. It doesn't matter. 
It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's okay to feel your feels. It's okay to, like, try to wrestle through that. It's okay to, like, go to your pastor, go to your parents, go to a friend, go to whoever, and go, man, I'm really struggling in this area. I know the Lord Jesus calls me to do this, but I just, I don't know how. It's hard for me to grasp. Whatever it might be, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to go through that. But what God has called us to do is to serve him faithfully, to love him among, uh, above all other things that we love. And I love a lot of things in this world. And I'm sure you love a lot of things, a lot of people, a lot of all, all kinds of stuff in this world. But that love should pale in comparison to your love and faithfulness to our Lord. So when he says, go and be my witnesses, you go, all right, I don't know how. I don't know what that will look like, but Lord, I trust. You have promised me the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit indwells me. He will lead me. He will guide me. It doesn't stop with Christ's death. It doesn't stop at the resurrection. It doesn't stop at the ascension. Let's look at verses 4 through 5. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. We see that God's mission is empowered by the promised Holy Spirit. You can't do this stuff on your own. You just can't. Like, you can't persevere in the mission of God by your own power. You can't convince people to believe in Jesus by your wit and charm. How do I know? My mom said I was charming. My wife says I'm witty. And I've never yet convinced someone to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have I shared the word of God and have people believed? Absolutely and amen. There's no greater joy. But that's not a work of me. That is not a work of your pastor or even a work of you. Your work is, is in in obeying God and following him when he invites you to be a part of his family you said yes and amen and then you said now what do I do and he says go and be my witnesses and you said okay I know it will be a challenge but I will do it and the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you through that entire mission oh, Paul in a jail cell ain't singing hymns in his own strength and power if I'm in a jail cell I'm thinking about how awful my life has gone if I'm in a jail cell I'm thinking I'm trying not to get into a fight, right? Like, I'm trying not to tick somebody off so that I get shanked in prison, right? Like, those are my thoughts. Those are my immediate things. I'm not thinking about how I can share Jesus with Bubba upstairs, okay? I'm not thinking about that. Paul was. Paul was, th Paul was always on guard. He was prepared, as he said to Timothy, in season and out of season. He was a man on a mission because the mission had been given to him by God. He's always looking. He's, he's kind of, in the army, we'd say you, you, you're always scanning. You're always looking for possible IEDs or, or all kinds of stuff or, or little things where you might be able to tell where the enemy is hiding. You're just scanning your area. That's Paul. He's just scanning and going, beep, 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 beep. I know how I can speak Christ into this situation. It comes with skill. It comes with, with, uh, uh, with, with failure and learning from those failures. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who works in the midst. He prompts you. He works in you. He encourages you. He empowers you for God's mission. And this was promised. 
right? This is promised to us by God the Father and the Son. It's promised if we look back at Matthew 3, 11, he, uh, that, that John the Baptist says, listen, the, I baptize you with water, but there will be one who comes after me, whose sandals, whose shoes I am unfit to tie. He's coming with the Holy Spirit. He's coming with a baptism of faith and repentance. Now, why is the Holy Spirit necessary? He grounds our hope in God's power, God's faithfulness, and His fulfilled promises. The Holy Spirit is, is really, like, like, the, like here on the screen, He, he sees our faith take root. The roots spread in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit's work. He's continually grounding us in, in all the promises, the fulfilled promises of God, pointing us to the hope that we have in Christ. But he also sustains us. He sustains us in times of great trial and doubt. Listen, you're going to have doubts in all kinds of things. You're going to doubt whether or not you can actually fulfill the mission that God's called you to. You're going to doubt whether or not the community here in Rockland will come to know the Lord Jesus. You're going to doubt whether or not, man, can, can I really truly believe in, in God who allows cancer in my family? Can I believe in God who I have served faithfully, who I've now been diagnosed with Alzheimer's? The Holy Spirit regardless if you have cancer, Alzheimer's, going through a divorce or whatever it might be, he's going to sustain you amid those doubts, amid those trials, amid the obstacles of life that come your way. Your life that God has given to you was never meant to be perfect and without trial. Your life has been given to you for God's glory. His glory is found in his people who celebrate him no matter their circumstances, who are faithful to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what kind of trial and tribulation might go on around them or in their lives. He's going to sustain you just as he sustains me, just as he sustained Paul and all the apostles to the ends of their lives. And their lives, of course, all ended in death. The only life that did not end in a cruel death, you know who it was? John, the author of the fourth gospel. John, who was boiled alive for following Jesus. Boiled alive and then survived. So he got the death penalty, survived it, and then they exile him to Patmos. And then in, in exile, what does he do? He receives a revelation. The last book of the New Testament. That's the life we're called to live. We have signed up, as one, one Christian hip-hop artist says, I've signed up to die. I've signed up to die to self, to die to all my desires and all the things that I want that God has called me to abstain from. I've been called to die if that's what it takes for the proclamation of the gospel. Polycarp, an early church father, was put to death by being eaten by lions. And all he had to do was avoid, or, or excuse me, renounce his faith in Christ. 
This is the life we've been called to. He also causes us to persevere no matter our circumstances. Now let's look at 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, right? Because this is what you would ask if you're a first century Jew. Because the Messiah who has come that's been promised, they're going to overthrow all of the oppression that that Jerusalem has been under, right? So, So Jerusalem, all you have to do is read the Old Testament. And if you read the Old Testament, you see this relationship between Jerusalem and God. They've made a covenant. God has made a covenant with Jerusalem. And it said, listen, o- obey me and I will take care of you. And every time that, that, that the Jews, that Jerusalem or, or Israel disobeyed God, what happened? He corrected them by bringing someone to overtake them. Well, now they're overtaken by the Roman Empire. And their assumption is that this coming Messiah is going to overthrow all of this oppression. And God will reign on earth through Israel. So naturally they ask, they said to him, um, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he leaves. Then he ascends. God's mission is our mission, and we just need to realize it. Um, one of my favorite things to do is... Um, my wife, Robin, the kids, uh, they weren't able to make it uh, here this morning. They're going to have lunch with uh, her mother. And one of, the, one of my favorite things to do with them is we sit in, in our bed and we watch a television show. And we'll watch the show and the kids cuddle up and, and all this and that. And it's something that, man, I, I wish I could do for hours. But, so, but at, at a certain point, like my kids go to bed at 930. And once in a while, they can like squeeze in another episode of Modern Family on me. They can be like, listen, Dad, one more episode, one more episode. Okay, fine. And I'm the hard guy, right? Like, listen, if, if bedtime's 9.30, you best be laying in bed by 9.29. Like, that's just, that's just how it is in, in my view, right? So for me, I try to, I'm in bed usually, like, right after they are. And, like, I could just sit there and enjoy my kids, enjoy my wife, enjoy my family. And the time we have cracking jokes, my son and I will wrestle and, and, and all that. Like, I just love it. I love being a dad. I love being a husband. But when that overtakes my calling to worship, to serve, and to extol God's glory in our community, when I hold that over and above my love for the Lord, I'm mistaken. The best way to be a better husband, a better wife, a, a better daughter, whatever it might be, is, is to know the Lord your God. Make him known in your life and in the lives around you. To follow, to serve him. Our mission is God's mission. God's mission is our mission. And we just need to realize it. We need to reorganize our lives. Maybe like what you love to do is sit down, eat Ben and Jerry's. I love Ben and Jerry's. Eat Ben and Jerry's and like watch the news at nighttime. Maybe you like to watch all kinds of different television, read a book, or, or maybe one of my favorite things to do, hopefully I won't get in trouble, is to sit out on the back porch and smoke a cigar. And as I do that, I, I like to enjoy 
what God has given to us in, in, in mighty ways. But that's not my mission. I can enjoy those things. That's good. When those things take the place of what God has given to me, given to you, to share in your community, to see others know the Lord, to enjoy him and know him forever. You've started walking a little sideways. You've started jumping out of airplanes and not even trying to get to your rally point. Here are a few questions as I close I want you to consider. What, what role does God and his mission play in your life? When you consider what God's called you to do, like, do you organize your life around God's mission? Or do you just try to fit it in where you could get it in? Like, do you look and, and, and you consider, like, okay, my kids, they got, they, you know, I got, my son's got soccer on, on Monday and Thursday, hockey on Tuesday and Saturday. My daughter has dance on Wednesday and Friday. And then in between, I got this job or that job. Like, you look at your calendar, you're a parent or a grandparent. Maybe you're trying to help your kids navigate the difficult issues they might have with their own kids. Or, or maybe you're, you're an aunt or an uncle. Or, or maybe you're just living by yourself and you have your own plans where, with your own friends and your own parents or sisters and brothers, whatever it might be. And, you go, and your schedule is just so conflicted. How do I fit in God's mission? The soccer field can be your mission field. The hockey rink can be your mission field. The brewery you like to go to is your mission field. Your family is your mission field. Your work is your mission field. Everywhere you go, you start, you need to reorient your life and understand Paul was a, a tent maker, right? But he used, we see in the book of Acts, like he used his tent making as an opportunity to share the gospel with other tent makers, those who were in the marketplace. Wherever you go, wherever God has placed you, these are the people he's called you to serve and care for. Who has God given you a burden to reach for the gospel? Um, Will Mancini, who is a, a PCUSA pastor in, in seminary, uh, he, he's a professor at Fuller Seminary, I believe. Um, he wrote a book called Church Unique. Um, I read it several years ago in a church revitalization class, and, and he helps um, in that book really reveal, I can boil it down, you don't have to read the book, here's, here's how you can help revitalize your church. You, you do two things, how is God, you want to know how God has called your church, made your church unique, and he has made you unique. Well, how has he done it? How can you discover it? First, what are the needs in your community? Write them down. Get you know, five of you together. Do it at brunch downstairs. Do it whenever. Ask Pastor Tom to organize some kind of meeting. Look and see, like, what are the needs of our community? List 10, 15, 20, whatever it might be. Whatever's on your heart. Whatever you care about. And then look around. The second part, look around. How has God uniquely called each and every single one of you? And he is the example. This is low-hanging fruit, so you might not want to use this one as an example. But you might look and say, like, listen, we have the worst school district in the state. And I don't know if that's true. So if it is, I'm sorry, I'm not throwing shade. But let's say you have the worst school district in the state, but you have four retired teachers here. Well, maybe you can start an after school program to help kids with their homework, help them learn how to do complex math problems like algebra or whatever. I'm not a math guy, but whatever math stuff. 
That's why I became a pastor. I can't do math. But, but you look and you say, okay, one of the things that we realized at, at my last church was we had, um, it, it was really easy to go from point A to point B and never go past some of these trailer parks. But there were some trailer parks, man. I mean, like dingy places. I mean, places that you would think like, that, that you wouldn't expect in the United States of America. And we had some very wealthy church members that were also very generous. And just side note, if God's made you wealthy, he's also called you to be generous. Amen? And all the poor people said amen. <laughs> but what we, what we thought of there when um, right before the pandemic, we started um, like essentially a food delivery service. And um, what we did was a lot of kids, they would um, get their nutrition at school. They get breakfast at school. They get lunch at school. And they even had some teachers. Now, you think teachers are underpaid here in New England. Teachers down in North Carolina, where I was serving, um, you're talking like if you're a 20-year teacher, like you've been teaching 20, 25 years, you get a master's degree, which is rare. Usually they, they have a bachelor's degree. Um, but still, even if you had a master's degree serving 20, 25 years, you capped out at about $45,000 a year. That's what teachers make in North Carolina. These saints were coming out of their own pocket and sending kids home with food, some of these kids. So what we decided to do was we um, reached out to like local um, guidance counselors and whatnot and, and essentially... Sh- they couldn't share with us information for, you know, for security purposes, but essentially they reached out to families who were in need and said, hey, we have a church that's willing to sponsor your family for the summertime and give you weekly like household items. And we did that for an entire summer. We did it through part of the pandemic and whatnot. And we looked and we saw a unique need in our community and a unique opportunity we had as a church to care for those. And we'd go, we'd, sometimes we'd play with the kids, we would, we'd do whatever, we'd just sit there and like talk to folks. And we wouldn't just, hey, uh, smack them over the head with a Bible and say, you know, the, the power of Christ compels you to believe. We would do that kind of thing. We would just show people love, compassion, love them. And we, we'd act like, hey, can I pray for you? And down there, like, you can't say no in North Carolina. If someone offers to pray, you just say, yeah, sure, whatever, man. Like, you don't say no down there. It's not like, like here in New England. Anyway, lastly, another question I want you to consider. How are you partnering with others in God's mission? How are you partnering together as a church? Um, so, so, so that means, like, in a, in a lot of our Advent Christian churches and some other churches, like, that's boards, that's committees, that's some other stuff. But I can tell you that in, in my time as a pastor, the most powerful experiences I've seen or, or uh, in mission is people coming together outside of even those boards and committees. And it's just getting a lot like, hey, I see this need. And, and the last thing to do is, hey, let's go talk to Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Tom and see what the church can do about it. Sometimes you need to work out that plan before you ever talk to the church. Because sometimes you'll take it to the church because as a pastor, I had people come to me all the time. Hey, pastor, I think we should do this. Man, that's a great idea. Can you take the lead on it? No, I ain't got time. Man, I ain't got time either. I mean, I'm, I work like 60 hours a week. I, I, I can't be doing what I'm, your priority ain't my priority. But whenever someone said, listen, Pastor, we got this issue over here. 
And I said, well, hey, like, what do you think we should do? Like, can you take the lead on this? And I had a few people, yeah, yeah, we can do this. Like, I'm just going to, do you have any ideas of who we should add to this list? And I'd like give them, give them a few names and they go, all right, taken care of. One of the best things I ever did is we started an outreach team that took care of like a lot of this stuff. We started an outreach team, I, like in the beginning, I was, I was knee deep in that stuff. And then once I had someone say, pastor, we don't need you anymore. Yes. Those are the best words a pastor can hear when it comes to something like that. Pastor, hey, go take care of the word, take care of the, you know, take care of the church. We got this stuff, and it just took off. So you could ask, how are you partnering with others in your church in the gospel mission, in the mission of God, seeing people come to know Christ? How are you doing it? Are you partnering with anybody? You're a lone ranger. But how is your church partnering with others? So you partner with our local conference, right? We're part of the Heritage Advent Christian Conference. Tom, I don't know if you serve on the, on the board or not. No. God bless you. That's probably a good thing. Uh, maybe you want to serve, you partner with our denomination in all kinds of different ways. There are different organizations, the Billy Graham Foundation and, and, and all this other stuff that we can do that we can serve people around the world. But you, you can't farm out God's mission with just dollars. God's mission, you have to appropriate it to your life and reorient your life and who you are and what you do around what God has called you to do. Tom said I had till 11.15, so it looks like the clock is, getting, is moving quicker than I anticipated. So I'll end with this. You might have jacked this up six ways to Sunday your entire life. You would be in the majority of the church. So if you've, if you've failed in supporting God's mission, if you've not lived up to, to what God has called you to be, if you've not been his witness in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, if you've not done that, listen, it's okay, you're forgiven. You're forgiven not, not because I said so, but because Jesus died for you. Because Jesus has redeemed you by his blood. He's adopted you into his family, making you a co-heir with him. You are, no matter what anybody in this world, in your family, in your work, at school says about you, you are royalty. You're a co-heir with King Jesus. And as being a co-heir, being a member of the family, he has called you to do family stuff, to be part of the family business. And the family business is to worship him, to adore him, to love him, to conform to him, and to be his witness. So no matter what happened before today, you can always see your life anew for tomorrow, for today. Will you pray with me? Father, this has been your word and these are your people. I don't know most of them, but I love them. But my love for them pales in comparison to the love you have for them because I did not purchase them with my son's blood. I did not foreknow them through all eternity. I don't know the ins and outs of their lives, but you do, and you love them and care for them. You sustain them by your power through your Holy Spirit. Father, you are coming again. You, your Son is coming again to usher in the new heavens and the new earth where we will worship you for all of eternity, and I thank you for that. But I ask, Father, I ask one, would you give a burden for us for your mission? 
And second, in, in times where we're in despair or doubt. In times in which we're not quite sure if we can do this. That you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to encourage us. That we would be reminded that so many never thought that Jesus would be raised three days later. That so many didn't believe that he was going to come and die. So many even believed that he was going to come in on a white horse and overthrow Rome. Father, cast aside our misconceptions about you, about Christ, and renew us by your Holy Spirit so we might glorify you here on earth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon that Reverend Eric Reynolds offered to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Situate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Situate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.